Welcome back to the Refuting Calvinism YouTube channel. I'm sure the title of this video got your attention. And uh, before you make any comments below the video, uh, I would encourage you to watch the whole video. In fact, if your comments reflect uh, someone who hasn't watched the whole video, I won't allow your comments. But this statement, God hates sinners, uh, should catch your attention. And uh, really the, the, the thing that's motivated me doing this video more than anything else is another video on YouTube uh, with the title, Does God Love Everyone? And uh, the man speaking the video, as you can see behind me here, is a man named Robert Morey. He was obviously a Calvinist, and that's why this is going on the Refuting Calvinism YouTube channel. Um, but it's a really important question to ask. Does God hate sinners? Or God does hate sinners. Uh, it's a statement. And the Bible does make this clear in Psalm 5.5 and Psalm 11.5. God hates sinners. God hates all workers of iniquity. The boastful shall not stand in his sight. Also Psalm 7.11. Uh, God is angry with the wicked every day. So let's just go through uh, some of the things that Robert Morris said in this video to kind of dissect it and see what the Bible actually says. He basically says at the end of this video, uh, if you don't like what he's saying, go be an atheist. And the moment you leave the church, you'll have revival. And uh, I want to analyze some of these things he's saying to see if they're actually true or not. Uh, first of all, he says, does God love everyone? And he says, looking around, why should he? Why should he love anyone, really, looking around? Well, uh, that's a good question. But that question, or that statement, looking around, why, why should he love anyone? It assumes that man has chosen to be sinners. Now, if man has chosen to be sinners, as I assert, as I believe, now, as Calvinism believes, if I believe that people have chosen to be sinners, then, then right, God, God has no uh, has no reason to love anyone who's been a sinner because they've rebelled against His will. If they've chosen to go their own way, they all, like sheep, have gone astray, and they're not living. Most of the world isn't living for Him, and especially sinners. They're definitely not living for Him. Uh, but that's not what Calvinism teaches. So let's just look at uh, at what one of the uh, points of the Westminster Confession of Faith and see what it says, and then let's kind of reason it through and see if his question, stepping into Robert Morey's worldview of Calvinism here, to see if his question even makes any sense to, to say, looking around, why should God love anybody? So let's just look at what one of them says here. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 3, and point uh, number 1. God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his, of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. Now, any logical, rational mind can see that there's a contradiction within this point one of chapter three of the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, that God ordains or decrees or predestines, whatever word you want to use, freely whatsoever comes to pass. Every single thing that's ever happened in the world, ever will happen, has been decreed or ordained by God. The word allow is not allowed in the Calvinistic uh, the theological system. God doesn't allow anything when it comes to Calvinism. And when it comes, if, if the God of Calvinism is the God of the Bible, it's the God of the universe, then there's nothing that's ever been allowed. God has caused, decreed, ordained, predestined, whatever word you want to use, whatever terminology you want to use, all things whatsoever comes to pass. Now, if that is true, God has ordained that Adam would fall, that every single person after him, according to Calvinism, would have a sinful nature, 
every single person has to be born with a uh, born with original sin, be born sinners, according to Calvinism. That every single person thereafter, every time they've sinned, whether it's been a thought, a word, or a deed, God ordained, decreed, predestined, or made it happen. And uh, of course, He's not the author of sin, though. Well, let me give you an analogy to see if this really works. Now, I, I've watched some uh, Christian comedians, stand-up comedians, uh, Bananas Comedy, and uh, there's quite a few ventriloquists on there. And the ventriloquist, one time, was telling a story. I think it's David Pendleton was telling a story of how, you know, he's got a ventriloquist dummy he has on his lap, and uh, he'll be talking to people in the crowd through the dummy. And he talks, he tells a story of one time when he was talking with the dummy to someone in the crowd, and the guy in the crowd got mad with the dummy. And everyone in the crowd was laughing at him. Because, obviously, it makes no sense to get mad at the dummy. The dummy's just doing whatever his ventriloquist master has determined, decreed, ordained, or predestined, he should say, or do. He has no control over himself. And uh, if we're just the dummies, and God's a ventriloquist, and he's the one controlling, ordaining, decreeing, determining, predestining all things what's going to pass, including every rape, murder, child molestation, etc., whatever sin you want to say, God has predestined, decreed, ordained these things, then uh, why shouldn't he love us? He's making us do these things. And you can say that Calvinism does not make the God, God the author of sin, but you saying it does not make it so. Uh, prove it. Give me an, a, a logical example where a force behind someone or something is making that someone or something do something, but then you hold that someone or something accountable for what it did when it had no choice in the matter. You ask, ask the Calvinist this. That rapist who raped that, uh, that child last week, whatever his name may be, I'm not giving a specific, I'm just giving a general example here. Could he have done otherwise than what he did? Could he have not have raped that child? Well, the answer, if you're a Calvinist, a consistent one, is no. Therefore, how could you hold him responsible? He's simply doing what God decreed, ordained, determined, predestined for him to do. So yes, uh, God should love everybody if he's a Calvinist God. Now, if he's a God who's not a Calvinist God, and men have chosen freely, of their own free will, to sin, not because God decreed it or ordained it, because God allowed it, which is not allowed in Calvinist theology, then people have no right to ever be loved by God. But the fact is, God does love everybody. And I think, that makes, I think the Bible makes that clear. First John says God is love. Uh, John 3.16, which he thinks means uh, the world there, means the world of the elect, which is ridiculous. Uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes him should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ died for us. Uh, God demonstrated his love for us. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God demonstrated his love. He showed his love. He has a benevolent love for all of mankind. He desires for all to be saved and for none to perish. And um, so we, we have to define what, what love and hate is here. I think we have two different definitions we're working for here. Uh, first, there's a benevolent love that God has for all of humankind. Uh, God wants all to be saved. He wants none to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. Uh, he commands all men everywhere to repent, so he wants all to repent. He, he, he commands it because that's what he wants, what he desires. He does not delight in the death of the wicked, but that they turn and live. So God does not delight in the death of the wicked, but that they turn and live. what he delights in. And therefore that's what he desires, what he wants. So God has a benevolent love where he, he wants the best for people. And that's what love is. 
Love is the greatest good, wanting the greatest good for someone. I, I love sinners, and therefore I preach the gospel to them. I love God, and therefore I obey him. You know, that's the way love works. Love is not just some warm, fuzzy feeling. So God loves each person in this sense, that has a benevolent love for all, wants all to be saved, and for none to perish, for all to come to repentance, and he does not wish that the wicked will perish and die in their sins and go to hell. So that's a benevolent love God has. But the Bible makes it clear that God also has a hatred. In fact, let's just read a couple of those verses. Because uh, most professing Christians, and those who aren't Christians even, have no idea the Bible even speaks of this. It even says it. Psalm 5.5 5. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. So the Bible says God hates all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. That's Psalm 5, verses 5 and 6. Psalm 11, and verse 5. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. So, once again, the one who loves violence, the wicked one, the one who loves violence, his soul hates. So God does have some kind of hatred uh, for sinners. And uh, it's not a hatred where he wills the worst for them. Uh, it's a hatred where he hates the way they're living their lives. But he doesn't just hate their sin. You know, the cliche that Robert Morey talks about in his video, uh, that God hates the sin and loves the sinner. Well, that's not true. Like he said, and I agree with him on this, God doesn't just throw the sin into hell. God throws the sinner into hell. You can't separate the sin from the sinner except through the blood of Jesus Christ, who forgives us of our past sin, cleanses us of our past sins, and God does not hold them against us any longer because of what Christ did on the cross. <coughs> That's the only way to separate the sinner from their sin. When a sinner comes to the cross, repents of their sin, trusts in Christ, and lives a life of obedience to him, and therefore they're forgiven of their past sin. But God has a hatred for sinners where he does, it's not a hatred where he wants the worst for them. It's a hatred where he hates the way they're living. He's not their homeboy. He's not their friend. He's not their buddy. In fact, the Bible says that God does not even hear the prayers of the wicked. That the prayers of the wicked are an abomination to him. So, uh, the only prayer I would say of the wicked that God hears is the repentant prayer. Uh, the sacrifice of God, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. So, when a sinner comes with a broken and contrite heart. God does not despise them. God sees their heart, sees their humility, sees their, their longing for their repentance and their for cleansing of sin and a reconciled relationship with God. And he forgives them and cleanses them and puts his spirit within them and gives them a new heart and new desires. But Calvinism teaches that God does hate sinners in the sense where he hates them unconditionally. That he hates them in the sense that he wills the worst for them because According to Calvinism, all things whatsoever come to pass has been decreed by God, including the fate of the sinner who goes to hell. It's called unconditional reprobation, and uh, or double predestination. Now, a lot of prof uh, professing Calvinists will not hold the double predestination, but uh, I think that they're being inconsistent, to say the least. Now, you can look at my video called the Consistent Calvinism Double Predestination, where I quote from John Calvin himself. Uh, who doesn't have very uh, nice words for those who do not hold to double predestination. But anyway, 
the Calvinist God hates sinners in such and such a way that he does wish the worst for them. Because the worst for any sinner is for them to go to hell. And God has decreed that most people from eternity past will go to hell. So of course he hates them in that sense. And that can't be reconciled with uh, the fact that God loves the whole world. So that's why they interpret John 3.16 in light of the world meaning uh, just the elect or the world of the believers because they're interpreting in light of the rest of the, uh, their doctrine. They're coming to John 3.16, not objectively, and trying to perform exegesis there, but eisegesis. They take the other verse they think uh, teaches Calvinism, and they impose it upon John 3.16, and therefore come away with the world, meaning the world of believers or the world of the elect. But the question becomes, what, of Nicodemus, who Jesus is speaking to there, what if he had taken it that way? That's proper exegesis. You take who the, the original context, who Jesus is talking to, and would they have come away thinking that Jesus is saying, I only love the world of believers. I only love the world of the elect. No, that's not what, he, that's not what he's saying here. And that's not how Nicodemus would have received it. And the ones who John the Apostle is writing to, an inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the group he's writing to, would they have understood it that way? Of course not. Uh, so God does love the world. He wants all to come to repentance, all to come to salvation, all to come to a knowledge of truth. There's not desire the death of the wicked, but that they turn and live. But there's also a special kind of love uh, that, G that God and Jesus only have for the believers. You look at John chapter 14 and verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now to verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. Then John 15, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So, is a special kind of love that God only has for those who are part of the elect, not because God has chosen to be part of the elect, eternity past, individuals, you're not, you are, you're not, you are, you're not, you are, but because they're part of the group called the elect, they've chosen to repent and trust in Christ, therefore they're part of the elect, and God has a special love for them, where he puts the Holy Spirit in them, because they're abiding in him and keeping his commandments, and they're living for him. And uh, he has a, a saving love for them, a forgiving love for them, but that's, it's their choice whether they have this saving love or forgiving love or not. God has not chosen certain people to not have this love and certain people to have this love, as Calvinism teaches. So the Bible teaches that God hates sinners in some sense. But it's not in a sense where he wills the worst for them. That he loves all sinners with a benevolent love because he wants all to be saved from none to perish. But then also that he has a special kind of love for those who are forgiven of their sins and cleansed of their sins and walking in love towards him by keeping his commandments. An abiding love, a special kind of love for them, a forgiving love, a saving love. But we choose whether we get this saving love or not, this forgiving love or not. So Calvinism teaches that God hates certain people unconditionally from eternity past, where he wants the worst for them. The Bible teaches that God loves all sinners and wants the best for them, but it's their choice whether they're going to have this saving love or not. So... And then, and then the sinner, of course, will go to hell forever where God will unleash his wrath upon them forever and ever because they have not chosen to turn from their sins, stop the rebellion, and come to Christ. 
But that's completely different from Calvinism, where it says that God decrees, ordains, predestined, determines all things whatsoever comes to pass. And there's no way that God can do these things unchangeably, predestining, ordaining, determining all things whatsoever come to pass, and not be the author of sin. It's akin to the ventriloquist taking control of the dummy. And dummy can only do what the ventriloquist master allows him to do. And the person who gets mad at the dummy for making fun of him is foolish. He should get mad at the master, the ventriloquist himself. Um, or take an, a, a, an author with a pen. Or a computer in this day and age. If I type up a book using my computer and my keyboard, my keyboard is simply an instrument. It can only do what I decree, ordain, predestine it to do. And it only do whatever I choose, ordain, predestine, determine that it will do. Is the keyboard the author of my book, or am I the author of my book? Is the computer the author of my book, or am I the author of my book? Is the printer which prints out the pages that I've told it to print out the author of my book, or am I the author of my book? Of course, I'm the author of the book. And if I'm the author of my book, then logically, it must be that the Calvinist God, if he truly is God, which I don't think he is, is the author of sin. It's really quite that simple. There's other verses he brings up, of course, the common proof text from Calvinists when it comes to this hate-love thing and unconditional election, unconditional uh, reprobation, double predestination. Romans chapter 9 and verse 13, which says, As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now, the first question I'm going to raise here, now, now, by the way, I've done a whole video on Romans 9. It's called Calvinism Strongholds-Romans 9. I encourage you to check it out. I go all the way from Romans 9.1 through, I think, verse 23 or 24. And I talk about this whole passage, but I want to isolate this one passage like he did and talk about what it's actually saying here. Now, is he talking about actual Jacob himself that he loves here? Is that what God's talking about? An actual Esau himself that he loves here? Well, this is a quote. Romans 9.13 is a quote from Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1 was written over 400 years. Well, actually... Thousands of, uh, over a thousand years after Jacob and Esau had died. It was around 400 B.C. Now they were born, Jacob and Esau were born around 2000 B.C. That's a 1600 year gap. We know Jacob and Esau didn't live for 1600 years, so God is not talking about loving Jacob himself here and hating Esau himself. In fact, it's talking about nations here, the nations that came from Jacob and came from Esau, and that's Israel and Eden. Let's turn to Malachi chapter 1 and see what it's saying here in context. Now, I listened to a debate recently between uh, Mr. James White and Dr. Michael Brown. And in this debate, uh, Romans 9 was discussed, and this is on James White's radio show, uh, Dividing Line. Uh, Romans 9 was discussed. And this, part, this point was brought up uh, very well, I think, by Dr. Michael Brown. And uh, I'll talk about what James White said here in a second. Let's read Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Us? Well, he's talking about Jacob. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountain and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Eden has said, We have been impoverished, but we will return and build desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. 
Your eyes shall see, and you shall say, The Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. Now that's through verse 5, New King James Version here. So, Jacob I love, Esau I have hated. Now, is it talking about Jacob and Esau individually? No, it's talking about them as nations, Edomites and Israelites. And in what way has he loved Jacob? He says, Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness and making their place desolate, they're impoverished as a people. It has nothing to do with salvation, individual salvation, or even group salvation. God chose Jacob as a nation to bring the Messiah through him, and therefore bring salvation to all nations through Jesus Christ. As the promise was in the beginning through Abraham, that all nations shall be blessed through his seed. And that seed is Jesus Christ. So, Romans 9.13 is not talking about Hate, loving Jacob individually or hating Esau individually, at least not as far as hate Jacob's going to heaven and Esau's going to hell. Uh, he loved Jacob in this way, that he chose him as a nation and blessed him as a nation. That's what he says here. I have loved you. I have blessed you. Uh, and he's not blessed Esau or the Edomites in the same way he's blessed Israel or Jacob's descendants. But it's not talking about individual or personal salvation or him loving Jacob individually or hating Esau individually. At least not in the sense that the Calvinists say that God has chosen one for salvation and one not for salvation. Uh, or sending all the Israelites to heaven or giving all the Israelites salvation and all the Edomites damnation. It has nothing to do with that. But James White uh, would have you to believe, uh, according to his debate with Michael Brown, Dr. Michael Brown, that uh, the way he makes... Paul the Apostle say something completely different than what Malachi 1 is actually saying in context, which is what he's quoting from in Romans 9.13. He'll, he'll call it the apostolic interpretation. And he would have you believe that the Apostle Paul is taking Malachi 1 verses 1 through 4 out of its context originally and giving it a completely different meaning. And now instead of it being nations, it's individuals. Well, just by calling it the apostolic interpretation doesn't make your interpretation of it true. Uh, I, I have a hard time believing that the Apostle Paul or any other apostle, the writers, writers of the New Testament scriptures, would ever take an Old Testament quote from the Old Testament and take it out of context and make it say something it never was meant to be said back in its original context. And calling it the apostolic interpretation doesn't make the Calvinistic interpretation of it correct. And uh, you, you can see more of that in my Romans 9 video if you want to check out the whole video. But it's obvious to me that Calvinists, once again, are playing word games. Uh, so in, in what sense is he hating Jacob and loving Esau? Well, if you turn to Luke chapter 14, we can kind of see, comparing what Jesus said in one other instance how God loved Jacob and how he hated Esau. How can he say that he or hated Jacob, hated, loved Jacob and hated Esau? How can he say that? Well, it says in, in Luke chapter 14 and verse 25, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So here we have, we're going to take the literal sense of hate here. If you don't hate your father and mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters, your own life, 
You cannot be Jesus' disciple. Now, Jesus is talking about literally hating your father and mother. How can you honor them if you hate them? Literally hating your wife and your children, how can you lead them in the fear of the Lord if you do that? Hating your brothers and sisters, if the Bible says in 1 John 3.15, if you hate somebody, you're a murderer at heart. Is Jesus promoting sin here? Of course not. Jesus here is saying simply comparing your love for God or your love for Jesus Christ. It compares to your love for your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, anyone or anything else. It should be like comparing love to hatred. That's what it should be like. And when you compare the way God treated Jacob or the Israelites, the way God treated Esau or the Edomites, it's like comparing love to hate. But not in a salvation sense. Not in a you're going to heaven, you're going to hell sense. But I've blessed you and I haven't blessed you. I'm keeping you blessed so the Messiah can come and bring salvation to the whole world. You are not my chosen people. I've chosen Jacob and the nation that's come from him over the nation that's come from Esau and the Edomites. So, that's the sense that God loves and hates Jacob or Esau. And that's the sense that God loves sinners with a benevolent love, but also hates sinners. He hates the way they're living their lives. And he will condemn them to hell if they uh, choose not to repent and not to trust in Christ. And the Bible says, as I already pointed out in Psalm 711, that God is angry with the wicked every day. God hates all workers of iniquity. Psalm 55, Psalm 115. But here's the question here for Calvinists. Let's just read one more thing from the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith. This is from the larger catechism here. Question 149. Is any man able perfectly to keep the commandments of God? No man is able, here's the answer, no man is able either of himself or by any grace received in this life perfectly to keep the commandments of God, but to daily break them in thought, word, and deed. Now, what is the definition of a sinner? But that someone who sins every day in thought, word, and deed, and is so enslaved and in bondage to it that they can't overcome sin and any kind of sense, even with the grace of God. Can we not do all things through Christ who strengthens us? I submit to you this. If you're a consistent Calvinist and you are sinning every day in thought, word, deed, and you really do believe you can't keep the commandments of God, and you really think the commandments of God are a burden to keep, just even though 1 John 5, 3 says they're not a burden to keep, and you really think you can't do all things through Christ who strengthens you, like this uh, part of the Catechism says, even with the grace of God, even with the strength of Christ, that you're, you're not able to bear the temptation that comes, even though the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that you can, then I submit to you that God is angry with you every day. God hates you because he hates the way you're living your life. And you, my friend, are the one who's going to go to hell in the end. Except you return from your, you turn from your sins, repent of it, give it up. You're the one who God will unleash his wrath upon for all eternity. Well, I hope you can see the way God loves and the way God hates. Because God does hate the sinner and God does love the sinner. But it's not an unconditional hatred from eternity past. And it's not an unconditional love from eternity past. God has a benevolent love for all of mankind. He showed it through the cross. But he also has a saving love for only his elect. Only for those who have chosen to be part of the elect 
who are in Christ, who have turned from their sins, trusted in Christ, and are now living a life of obedience to Him. I guess one final point I'll say is this. At the end of the video, he says, uh, it will be in revival the moment you hit the door. If you don't want to accept Calvinism or what he's bringing up in the video, uh, just leave and become an atheist, and they'll be in revival the moment they hit the door. Uh, well, what kind of revival are you going to have if you're consistent to, to Calvinism? Where you sin every day in thought, word, and deed. Where you believe that everything that's been that's ever happened or will happen has been decreed or ordained by God. I don't, you know, revival is living holiness. Every revival I've ever known, I've read a lot about revivals. It's always been going back to holiness, people turning from sin. But why turn from sin if it's impossible to keep God's commandments, even with His grace? Why even bother? So. I think that about sums up the video. I encourage you to comment below with questions or objections. And I'll do the best I can to get to them as quickly as possible. And remember, refrain from hominid attacks, straw and arguments, and deal with the content of this video. Well, let's stick to that. So, does God love everyone? Yes. Does God hate sinners? Yes. Does God love sinners? Yes. But not the way Calvinism teaches, the way the Bible teaches. God bless you.